Write that song? That's wow, me, that's me singing. It's supposed to be similar. It's a cover song. Uh, this week we will be discussing Catfish. <laughs> if you have not seen Catfish, we are going to be discussing Ugh. it in very spoiler-specific terms. If you've paid attention to any, any of the marketing for Catfish, it says I think it's things like "Don't let anyone tell you about this movie." We're going to be doing that. Mm. Just, just so you know. Uh, Ignore what they said. Helping me spoil Catfish and, and discuss it is. Uh, Christian, oh God, uh, is it McCluskey? Christian McCluskey is here with us today. Change, I can change, I can change. <laughs> <laughs> nice work on the soundboard, Chris McCluskey. Yeah. Oh, so that's how you pronounce it. No, it's pronounced cherry. We we also have with us uh, Kelly Wand, who uh, I hope has a tagline for us. Kelly Wand, Kelly Wand. The tagline, actually, for the movie is don't let anyone tell you about it, I think. What is your tagline for this movie? Let us tell you about it. <laughs> Very good. Well, in that case, on that note, Kelly Wand, why don't you tell us about this movie? Why don't you break okay. down for us what happens in this movie? Violate the number one rule of catfish. Go. Oh, you mean a catfopsis? <laughs> pretty tortured. Okay. Let me show oh, you. Oh, you think that's catfish. torture? There's a long torture about to happen to you. Get ready for it. Okay, this is my uh, synopsis of the film Catfish. Ready? <laughs> All right, so this dude named Naive. <laughs> Campbell. I, I had a hunch that was going to happen. Uh, it's almost Navi, by the way. Spoiler alert. Uh, takes pictures of dancers that some eight-year-old girl he's never met makes a watercolor painting of on Facebook. So his douchey New York filmmaker buddies go, hey, let's make a movie about you having a long-distance relationship with this girl's older sister, Megan. So since the sister looks hot on Facebook, he's all, great, film me having phone sex with her, and then me complaining that you're filming me while you film me. So he's a little suspicious at first because he's, he's on the phone with Megan, and he hears what sounds like retarded kids braying and screeching in the background. <laughs> but she tells him that it's just because of some horses that she bought because she bought a horse farm, and he's all, oh. So to prove he's not a creepy Internet loser, he sends her some Photoshop pictures of his pictures superimposed on her, so it looks like they're both naked together in her closet. <laughs> but then he gets offended when she plagiarizes some music files. So then he and the douchey friends um, are assigned to take pictures of a dance festival in Colorado, because that's their real job. So he tries to set up a meeting with the hot sister, even though he's friends with her mom, which seems kind of awkward, and her little sister. And he talks to the little girl on the phone while he's on a ski lift, even though there's no snow. And um, they track her address down on stalker.net and go to the house in the middle of the night and steal the mail. But someone else lives there who doesn't check their mail. 
<laughs> so they go to a breakfast at a different house, and Naive learns he's been having phone sex with this crazy uh, middle-aged married woman who's been lying to him, and it's totally insane. So he cock-teases her all day, and then humiliates her on camera, and he makes her talk in her teenage voice while he's filming her. Then he goes home and he friends her, and he makes a movie about it, and he gives the movie a Facebook page, and then he hounds us to go see it opening weekend. This cryptic ad campaign that makes it look like a horror movie, and then he shills for it so the movie makes more money, and then we go see it, and then we do a podcast about it, and then people post about what retards we are for not crying at the end of it when the crazy lady paints his teeth. The end. I'm crying now. Does that count? I hope I offended Tom, and I hope you, he cried during this movie so I can mock him now. Now, Kelly Wand, you, you are such a national treasure, I just want to say. <laughs> fuck Sorry. Facebook and fuck this movie. No more Facebook movies ever. Don't trick me. How dare you. Promise me. Never mind. Oh, wow. Well, I don't, I don't know where to go from there. I'm tempted to just go straight to the three by three. Oh, but except, wait, I loved the movie. Yeah, so I, knew you would. I knew you would, Tom. You <laughs> dumb bastard. Do you think, no, wait a minute. So, I think Dig you is, watch them stage stuff. All right. I think Dig has tipped his hand. Let me just find out. Kelly Wan, do you think, you, you knew I would love it. Do you think Dingus is with me? Mm, Dingus is an enigma wrapped in a riddle wrapped in a Cornish hen. I, I don't know. I would say he laughed a lot, but that might be bait. Um, I predict he didn't like it, so we'll see if I'm right. All right, go, Dingus. Uh, I feel the same way about this movie, uh, point for point, the way uh, Neve felt about Megan. That's way too yes. wrapped in a riddle, wrapped in a Cornish hen. I'm no, you know what? That's a brilliant, he totally beat me just now. I'm so proud of Dingus. Dingus is the rightest of all of us. Because <laughs> the movie Megan's Us. I will feel, like, Stop, I feel Tom. totally duped by this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. From soup to nuts, from from marketing campaign to uh, everything that happens in it, I feel I, I can almost track the way I feel is the way Neve feels as he goes through the movie. Yeah. And I feel, feel just as, I feel just as sad at the end as he felt. Yeah. For us and them, or just her, her the lady? Well, for, for myself. For, for myself, for the people in it, for, for my sense of who's being exploited and who isn't, and for my sneaking suspicion of what's real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think um, there's, there's, a brilliant, there's a brilliant sense of... And, and I'm so happy, actually... That I got duped. I, you know, I'm, I don't mean to launch in here, but I'm happy that I got duped because it means I get to avoid uh, the other Facebook movie, which I didn't know was happening. I didn't know that was that that is what was happening, and I'm happy that I got duped for that reason only. But for other reasons, I I just I sit here wondering how much of this is real and how much of it isn't, and I still don't know. Let me ask you something. The the thing that does it matter. Yeah, exactly. Does it matter? Because I'm convinced it's not. I'm not buying for a minute that this is actually a documentary. Uh, and even watching it, I, I, at the end, I was a little surprised that they tried to sort of sell it like that. And in reading up on it, they're, they're, they're still pushing they this idea of the yeah. deal. But I'm, I'm not buying it. But ultimately, it doesn't matter to me. I honestly couldn't care mm-hmm. less how this is marketed. Like, it, this doesn't have the sort of 
fourth kind, which Kelly and I have alluded to before, I was pretty... Oh, we knew that was fake. That's comedy and horror. That's but, totally different. Right. Exactly. And, and, and that's the thing exploited. is, I, I think that's very different. Like, fourth kind, though, really does... I, I think have is much more tasteless about that. Like fourth kind is really wanting you to believe that it's real and it's selling this idea of of being thrilling and scary because it's real and it's so obviously not real and stupid. Fourth kind I was offended by because it just felt so manipulative. Uh, this though, this the, this though I can watch and I can appreciate regardless of whether it's real. Uh, fourth kind, in order to not really think that it's stupid and, and cheesy, uh, I, I think you're, you're supposed to believe that it's real. And I never did with fourth kind. And there were all these little shenanigans from the studio trying to make it seem like it was real and not crediting actresses. And that bothered me. Here it doesn't bother me. Like, for instance, the woman playing Angela, and I'm curious how much of a real person she is, how much of an actress she is. But ultimately, I don't think I really care because I really liked the story that was told, and specifically the way it unfolded. What if it was real? <laughs> Excuse me. Are you watching it right now? Is it no, no. <laughs> well, I never, real, I never realized that, like on, on IMDb, it says it's a documentary. And I, I was not hip as I was watching it to this whole idea that they're selling it as a documentary, that they are teasing that it could be a horror film. Uh, I thought it was unusual when I went into the theater that it was full of 20-somethings who were very rowdy and who loved the scene where they go up to the farm at, at, at night. And one of them actually yelled, don't go in there. And I know they were expecting that the family was going to turn out to be like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing. And when the movie ended, several of them actually booed. So <laughs> I, I think the way that they are trying to sell this, okay, it's a little disingenuous, uh, but I don't care. I don't care because I like the story. Unlike Fourth Kind, which is just stupid through and through, I really like the story. Um, and as I was watching it, I, I really liked having no idea about where it was going. Uh, I wrote in my notes at one point, uh, this better turn out to be sinister. Because <laughs> I was like, if this is going to be... Right, and it wasn't. If this is going to be some sleepless in Seattle BS, I was going to be so turned off. So I was thinking, this better turn sinister. But... Instead, I think it turns into something even better. It, it, it mm. turns into this really warm, humanistic movie uh, that, that manages to take a story about how technology makes it more difficult for us to know each other and then really, like I said, becomes warm and humanistic about human connections. Uh, and I don't believe, for an instant, that it wasn't staged, and I don't care. I, well, you said, Tom, that you've read... I haven't read any extracurricular things about it. Have you read other things about it that lead you to think that it's not real, or is it just the sense that you get from it? Because, no, no. What, because what I'd like to talk about is are the, are the clues that, that might be... And if, and if it's a fait accompli, if it's a fait accompli, then we don't have to talk about that. But what I want to talk about, if that isn't a fait accompli, is the clues that lead you to think that it's not real, or... No, they, if you just know. Right, they're definitely claiming it's real. It, it screened at Sundance. Brett Ratner championed it. It was uh, picked no, up. That's by, all you got to say. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, when his name popped up, that. when his name popped up early on, that was another thing where I'm like, okay, this is going to be like some kind of horror movie. <laughs> like when you see that he's an executive producer. Uh, so it, it was picked up at Sundance, and then Universal really had no. I, I think this was how they decided to market it. Uh, I am not sure, and, and this is what these, these kids who made the movie are going around saying is, yeah, it's real. I haven't investigated it. I don't know. But, like, does this woman really have a page on Facebook, Kelly Wand? 
I, uh, it's you can't you can't join her as a friend. Okay. And she has a site, and you can you can't you can't. Their, her email and her phone number don't exist. And okay. then Naive has a site, and a different site for the film. Right. Well, but, all I thought about when I was sitting there, and he says the line, "Let's call them the Facebook family," was that oh well, oh that's why the marketing is the way it is because social networks coming out next week, and and they can't muddy the waters because no, there's no way anybody's going to go see this dinky little film if any everybody's going to see the official Facebook movie. So I thought that's why the marketing was the way it was. But then I thought, well, why why do this release window then? So I, I was confused by that whole thing. Is the I don't yeah I don't know. The Facebook movie, by the way, I don't know if you know, it's, it's just, and I say just because there's no telling what David Fincher is going to do with it. It's a biopic. Uh, yeah, God. Th- this, on the other hand, is to, to me, it's not just a Facebook movie. It's a, a, a Google movie, a Photoshop movie, right, an right. email movie, a YouTube movie. I, I mean, this to me is a really canny appreciation of how people use technology. And it, it's really about that. Uh, and I don't know that Facebook is so much that as this story about uh, a young wunderkind who I presume becomes an asshole. I, d- I don't know what they're doing with that. What, well, what, I'm, what I'm going off of are just, some, are just the mental images I get from the trailer I accidentally saw part of of the social network, which is a lot of that sort of cursor-clicking friending, right, right, right. Uh, which, you, which you see a lot of in this movie. And, and when I started to see those same images, I started to think, oh, well, this is why they're shying away from that. But, but what, I, what I started to think after that moment was that we're going to get far more, this is, this is going to be far more dramatic if it becomes a documentary. There's far more drama here than there will probably be in the, in the real story, the biopic, you know, right. however real or not real that is. Facebook, the biopic. So, so Kelly Wand is part of what what bothers you. Is part of why you don't like this movie because you're not convinced it's real. Does that matter to you? Only in this case because there's it ends with tears, and I'm I'm really annoyed when tears are used. I'll put it this way: okay, Fourth Kind is a horror movie, and like Spinal Tap was a comedy. So those are and Blair Witch was a horror. It's like. It, in that, in, in those instances, they're trying to make you think it's real. That's part of the movie, basically. Mm-hmm. In this, they don't want you to know anything about it because they know if you know how it ends, no one's going to go see it. So they tr- they dupe me and Dingus into thinking it's going to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre with a catfish monster in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> it is analyzed, <laughs> and uh, you know what? I got to be honest with you, Tom. I was liking it while I was watching it, but the but the more I thought about it, the more annoyed I got, and the fact that it wasn't real became more and obvious to me, and I felt stupid for thinking it was real. Let me. Ask I felt you. like frustrated, like ah, oh, well, as dumb as night. Let me ask you, Kelly Wand, if, if this had been sold to you as a movie about how technology can simultaneously distance and bring people together, if you'd been mm-hmm. sold that as a, as a found footage movie and this is the theme, would that have made a difference? Uh, maybe. Okay. A lot of it's resolution. I didn't like that ending. <laughs> and I didn't like it if it was staged. If it was a real thing... Which would and it would have been much sloppier, I think, and and more realistic. Right. And there wouldn't have these Mark Twain quotes about catfish at the end. <laughs> like Blair Witch was cooler because it seemed real. It seemed more real because they they would screw stuff up on purpose and lose the cameras and stuff. I don't know. It just seemed like they could have gone to more effort to trick me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Tom, can I ask, let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, because one of the things that started to um, ruin, not ruin, I want to use the word queer, but it's such a, it just started to, to okay, queer my, my feelings for the movie as I was watching it were the thinking feeling that it was becoming, that it was a documentary, that it was an actual documentary and not a found footage film that was going to become creepy and weird and creepier and weirder, but it was becoming increasingly less so. And what, one of the things that was ruining it for me was, was thinking of you seeing it and knowing how you feel about documentaries. <laughs> now you're, uh, no, the, sincerely, how you refuse to right. put them on your end of the year film list because you don't think of them as real films or you know whatever, however you feel about it. And so, what, what, what I'm thinking about is, is, was there any moment in this? Because I understand how you're coming out of the film, but was there any moment or moments during this where you thought this is really a documentary? No, no. You, you never felt that way. I really, I really going in thought I was seeing a dramatization the entire time. At the end, when they play with the stuff about. Uh, Angela doesn't have cancer, like all that stuff. I was like, wait, so this isn't, you know, they, at the end they sort of reveal that it's all real. But as I was watching it, I really thought I was watching a dramatization, you know, made, of course, to look like a found footage documentary, like like we've talked about Fourth Kind, Paranormal Activity, Blair Witch, Cloverfield. I really thought I was watching that kind of movie making. So as we, get to, as we get to Michigan and they meet with Angela, there's ne- there was never a point where you thought, okay, this, th- these are filmmakers and they were going with what footage they had. No. I mean, there's so many, like Kelly Wan talked about being no pat, and there, there really is so much stuff in here that is pat and convenient and well-written. Every moment they need is on film. Right, right. You're, you're absolutely right with, about the well-written. You're absolutely right. Go ahead, Tom. And so that that was a lot of it. As I'm, as I'm watching it, I I really thought I was watching a found footage movie. And I don't think I've ever seen a found footage movie and thought it was a documentary. Like, I've never had that sense of, of confusion. Let me tell you guys another reason that I didn't think I was watching a documentary. There's already a documentary of this movie, basically, of this plot. Um, and Dingus, I might have told you about it. It's a documentary called Tall Hot Blonde. It's all one word. The word tall only has one L in it. So tall, hot, blonde. And what that is, it's a, it's a screen name in a chat room. And tall, hot, blonde is based on a real case. I want to say it's somewhere in the Midwest. Uh, where a married man starts having an affair online, like a, a sex chat affair with a young girl. And it turns out that she also is carrying on with someone with whom he works, with one of his co-workers. And what develops is this weird love triangle between this young girl, this older married man, and a younger man with whom he works. What makes Tall Hot Blonde worthy of a documentary is over the course of this love triangle, uh, neither of them ever meets the girl, but the girl manages to incite the older man to kill the younger man. And it's an actual murder case. Uh, you know, the, the guy killed his co-worker. And it was only after he was arrested uh, that he found out that the young girl did not exist and was, in fact, an, an older housewife pretending to be her estranged daughter. Yes. And that's the, you know, as I'm watching Tall Hot Blonde, I, you know, any, those of us who are savvy to the Internet and anybody Nev's age should be savvy to the Internet. Right. Those of us watching Tall Hot Blonde know how it's going to turn out. You don't for a minute think that this young hot girl is carrying on over the, the Internet with these two guys in the way that she is. I mean, you're waiting for that twist. And so Tall Hot Blonde was a fascinating case to sort of see how a couple of 
rubes get sucked into this thing and it ends in a murder. Um, but there was no surprise there, even though the documentary plays it as that surprise. So I, I was sort of, I, I'm very curious that I think the events of Tall Hot Blonde are like 2005 and this movie's two years old, if I'm not mistaken. So I would be very surprised if that's not, if not directly, I mean, that sort of story isn't an influence on these guys. I mean, these guys had this idea, let's do a found footage about these kind of events, uh, so the whole time I was watching, I was pretty sure I was watching a found footage dramatization based on what I thought was going to turn out to be like Tall Hot Blonde. But as I said, ended up, and I think this is a great twist, being a, a, a really warm, sort of loving perspective of this lonely woman. No, it wasn't loving. It was sad and tragic, which isn't, isn't necessarily unworthy filmmaking. You don't think it was sympathetic to Angela? Uh, it was, but it wasn't, it made me kind of not like the guys. <laughs> and and that's kind of a twist, or I, I think. I mean... But I don't think they knew that. I think they, I don't know. I mean, they got, they, they were gullible and dumb, mm-hmm. and it made a film exploiting this woman. Now, do you, and now, does it, and so you're saying it doesn't matter whether she's real or not? Like, she was either... I don't know if they're really, if that woman really does have... I don't know if that woman really does have the disabled children, if that guy really is her husband. I don't know if she's an actress. I don't know if they just found someone, if, if maybe it was a, a, a friend. Like, I don't know if there's some kernel of truth to this relationship, and they decide to make a story out of it. And you know what? I wouldn't even be... I, I say I wouldn't be surprised. I would be surprised if it turns out to all be true, but I don't know if that's the case either. Uh, ultimately, I'm saying I don't believe it is the case, and ultimately it doesn't affect my enjoyment of what I saw. Okay, well, put it this way. If none of it's true, all that huh? happened was a, was a guy got scammed on the Internet, and a, he found out one chick had ten cell phones. So that's all that happens, as opposed to, like, an awesome murder resolution. So whether it's so if it is true, it's more interesting than, like, if one of those kids died, which they were told at the end he did. Mm-hmm. That has more gravitas than being told, oh, yeah, one of these actors who played a retarded kid. We're killing off his character, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, true life does have more emotional impact than, than a drama. Right. I, agree with you and I, I would say this would be unique among fake documentaries for me in that respect. Because I like almost every other fake documentary I've seen, I think. Okay. Did you just see American Cannibal, the real, the real reality TV one? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> what is that? Oh, you should see that one. That one's... It's like a American reality cannibal. Show. I don't. <laughs> so you guys pitching this reality show where they some one of the, someone's going to get eaten and then one of the contestants dies or maybe doesn't die and you never find out what happens. Okay, it's really well. The one it reminded me more of, and I know Dingus has seen it. You probably haven't, Kelly Wand. There's a a, a romantic comedy called Paper yeah, Paper Heart with Michael Sarah and a, a, a stand-up comedian named Charlene Yi. Have you seen that? No. It plays on, on kind of the same level. Is It's kind of a documentary about a relationship. And I, I don't think the relationship is true. They tried to sell it as being true in order to market the movie. And ultimately, eh. it doesn't matter to me for my enjoyment of what I saw, whether or not it was true. Hmm. All right. All right. <laughs> the, the documentary that, that I started to think about when I... Because, you know, Tom, you talked about feeling like this had already been made or that, or that it was inspired by another documentary, The Tall Hot Blonde, um, was a documentary I didn't get to see but read about from Sundance um, called My Kid Could Paint That, um, which, is, which is sort of the, the idea of 
a, a painter um, who has a kid who's unbelievably talented, but nobody ever has seen this kid paint, and, ah. and he won't let anybody watch her paint or cameras because he says that this will affect her creative process and it can't be done. And there and there's a sort of mystery about uh, does she actually do it or is this all a, all a hoax? And and that's what I felt was sort of like part of the kernel of the idea without all of the the uh, not just social networking but what you were saying Tom about the the many ways we use computers because I, I started to think even though they, they referenced Facebook was I started to think of this as a Google movie because there's so much Google Maps stuff and I and I really thought that that was so cleverly done as a way of making us think we're traveling without having to travel it's just such a uh, such a great uh, cost-effective filmmaker thing to do yeah. is to have that Google Map thing flying around. We're going to LaGuardia. We're going to have the camera go through the security uh, X-ray machine yep. and make you think we've gone somewhere. And I really liked that. Well, they obviously were on location. I, I mean, right. I, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was very clever the way you know what would have normally been an Indiana Jones travel log is now somebody buying tickets online using uh, you know whatever online search, you know, Travelocity or whatever they were using. Uh, that's like shorthand for the red line moving across the map in, in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, and the, and the Google Street View, you know, the, the yep. arrows on the Google Street View is, is a perfect analog for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, I, ultimately, this is a mystery. I mean, this movie is, it's a mystery. Uh, and traditionally, mysteries are a lot about people doing research and it's really, it can be really difficult to make that interesting these days. You, you know, when you have Jack Nicholson moving through 40s, the, you know, Los Angeles in the 40s, that's gorgeous stuff. And it looks awesome to us. You know, when he's looking up records in the hall or he's, you know, talking to uh, little kids riding a burrow out in the, the, the dried out canal, you know, all that stuff is great. And he's just doing research. But these days, like I'm thinking of that Ring remake with Naomi Watts. It, it's shots of her Googling stuff, and that's just terrible. I mean, it just kills the movie. And these guys were very clever at, at making a mystery about using the Internet to do research, like the scene where they find out that the song is a ripoff. I thought that was a great little bit of uh, almost an action sequence, in a way. Uh, the way it was clipped together, the way it was edited, the way there were two different cameras shooting it, uh, the way they went to YouTube, the way they were Googling song lyrics... Uh, that, it was just really sharp, clever stuff, I thought. Uh. Yeah, it was. And it, it used sound really well. Like, you're listening to it going, wait, it is the same thing. Yeah. Like you, and you yep. watch the, it dawn on them, and that's pretty cool. By the way, the, conversation. The, it, uh, very good, Kelly Wand. Very, very good. Yeah. Walter uh -huh. Murch. Uh, by the way, there was another point where I was pretty sure that this was not a documentary, because my guess is they couldn't get the rights for Wild Horses, you know, the Rolling Stones song. So they had to go with something far more obscure. I don't know what that song was. I'd never heard it before. But uh, if someone requ requests a bunch of songs and one of them is a famous Stones song, you know, Wild Horses, good Lord, why wouldn't you do that one? Uh, yeah. But they did Good Vibrations earlier in it. They they did a the children's choral version. You're right. Yes, they did get a famous song in there. I would wonder, Dingus, if that was in uh, because it was played over the the soundtrack. I wonder if that's something they only got after it got picked up by Universal. I don't know the answer, but uh, uh, yeah, I did notice when they were making it, they of course couldn't use Wild Horses because uh, as soon as that comes up, I'm like, oh yeah, 
do that song, not these other obscure ten- Tennessee Stud. But the- have you guys heard of Tennessee Stud? No. Yeah, me. Either. I don't know. I don't listen to songs about horses <laughs> or or timber or. You know. Yeah, gives me the creeps. <laughs> Unlike Facebook movies. So, Dingus, you mentioned sort of your reaction to it feeling a bit like Neb's as it dawns on you what's going on. So, so it, would I be correct in saying that you liked it less once it was over and you kind of realized? Oh, he friended it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, where did you end? So that was kind of your journey. Where, where does this leave you with now that you've seen it? Well, um, oops. For, for me, my... Uh, my chick parabola is uh, sort of thinking it's uh, feeling like I'm I'm in a mystery, and then it and that it could be like a ghost sort of horror slash film. Like when we get to the barn and the guys, I'm scared, I'm creeped out. Let's get out of here. You know yep. all those lines, yep. and and it could go any way when they're getting the mail and they're out in the dark, and and, and Vince shows up, uh, but then it, it sort of turns into a soap opera for me. Uh, and then it turns really sad for me. And and I and when when I started to feel like uh, the family was was being exploited, especially the kids, especially those those kids with disabilities, in in that scene where she's hooking up the feeding pump, and he's doing the self injurious behaviors, that that's really hard for me to watch. It's really hard for me to get over. No matter what's going on here, if if this is at this point, I'm 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 not sure what to believe. I'm not sure whether to believe we're in an actual documentary. I'm I I don't know how to label your uh, how how clearly you felt about this time. I don't want to say cynical because that has such a pejorative cast to it. But you 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 seem to have a much clearer view uh, from beginning to end of this film that I did, where where I was questioning and I was having to look for clues for like like that whole scene at the beach why would you be at the beach what's what's going on there uh, I was having to look for clues for is this real or is this not and we got to the point where she's hooking up the feeding pump and her son her stepson is hitting himself in the head and and it's clearly an adult with a disability who is is in a in some sort of long-term care sort of situation and there's no way he can give consent for this footage that's being shown it's it's really difficult for me not to feel there's all sorts of exploitation going on and not to feel uncomfortable about it so by the time we get to the end i feel that sort of same sadness that needs seems to express uh, or not and it's not the same but I, I i get to that that sort of similar point Right. The, yeah. the, the, ex, the exploitation of the characters is hard for me to handle. Right. Even even Angela, who who is who is manipulative and a willing part of this, and who knows whether her tear, tears are real or crocodile, but they seem real. Uh, it's it just it's hard for me to handle the exploitation, and not knowing whether it's real or not is difficult for me to handle. Okay. I would get more pleasure out of it if I knew for sure the way you know for sure. And they're insisting that it is real, Tom, as opposed right. to not saying anything about they're it. They're insisting that it's real. And one of the things, watching that scene with her stepson, uh, I mean, that's, that is real in that that's a person with a real disability. Right. Seems to me trusts the woman who's working 
with him and right. her reaction to him i think i loved that scene i thought that scene even if it's, 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 it's yeah, even if it's exploitative uh, even if it's to elicit an emotional reaction from me i just thought that that was a, a really really touching scene and it said a lot about this character in this movie now i do also afterwards wonder wow, this woman, this actress, if that's what she is, must really take care of the, these two disabled children uh, because the stuff you see in that scene is not an actor. It's being as you use the word exploiting, but to me I didn't really feel that way because I felt so appreciative of the relationship that they had, of the care that she was offering him, of how comfortable he felt around her. You know, when she's when he takes her arm and she's like, sweetie, my arm doesn't bend that way. That was such a natural, authentic honest moment and i felt privileged to be able to watch that to have that yeah. even if it was to elicit an emotional reaction from me and then i get home and i i look up to see if it's real and i find that naive on facebook going okay let's get those numbers up this opening weekend it's just like i don't know it's like he's a barker at a carnival and they're like carnival geeks but the, but that man uh, that young man not he's not a child i mean those are young men right um they have no say in that they, they're not like um, they're yeah. Not like they didn't sign any actors. consensus forms. They're not like actors with Down syndrome who are getting jobs and and working in in the industry. They're, these these are these are people right. who are whose disabilities are just being shown for what might be gratuitous or might not. And so, from my point of view, watching that scene, while I while I respect what you have to say about it being a real and human moment, that man has no choice over whether or not he's being shown smacking himself in the head. And he well, might have an opinion about that, but okay. he has no way of giving that, ex- that consent, as far as I know. Well, obviously, and, though, okay. it, it, it's and one of them dies. Obviously, though, Ding gets pleasure from right. It. Obviously, he has a guardian who did sign off on this. Obviously, he has someone caring for him, and you can't. Universal is not going to release a movie without that being covered. But so, they're not in their right heads either. They're all insane. Well, I, I don't know. Look, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I get what you're saying too, Dingus, but there, there, there were proper channels here. Whoever cares for that young man felt that this was appropriate. And I am inclined to trust that person. And maybe that's just me making an excuse for the fact that I really enjoyed that moment. Uh, but I just find it hard to believe that there was anything wrong there. Uh, exploitive is such a, a loaded term in a way. Yeah. So I, I'm just not quite. Sh- I, I just my natural reaction just chafe against that thing. Okay. But I do get what you're saying. Uh, and it's a touchy issue, you know. I. Uh, yeah. It is. I like the scene too, but how we get there and then we. I, it just feels weird to me. I, I feel. I felt the same way Dingus did. Right. I felt dirty watching it. See, I just felt. I, I go back to the word privileged. I mean, it just. That's not something I get to see. Is that. That sort of loving interaction between somebody who's so disabled, uh, and you I got there because they were trying to sandbag a chick who'd scam them on Facebook, like Facebook lit. Yeah, I don't know. See, that's well, one. Here's, here's the thing: mm-hmm. those um, ends justify the means. My my audience was much different than yours, Tom. Uh, my audience was much older, my age and older, and and senior citizen age. And I and probably you know it was uh, it was early this morning, eleven thirty this morning, so it was uh, more senior citizen kind of age, mm-hmm. um, but people my age as well. But I could tell they didn't know how to react to this film, and I I could tell it because of when when they laughed and when they didn't laugh, and particularly in the end when Vince shows up again, and he, and you can see in his face 
where those kids came from. If yeah. that's just casting, that's amazing. Yeah. They uh, you can see his, his sons in his face and in the way he talks and in his eyes. And there's this sort of nervous tittering, and it stops. And there was a sense in my audience of, we want to laugh at him, but are we allowed to? <laughs> and so that's, mm. that's, that's where I'm talking about my uncomfortable feeling about, and, and maybe you're right, maybe exploitative is too loaded a word to use, but when it comes to people with disabilities, it's really hard for me to, to sort of see the lines here. And, and when, the, when the movie gets to that point, um, we're seeing that you see is, is sort of a privilege, and I'm not sure what, what word you use, honored. It becomes a privilege. reality show. No, privileged. I mean, I really privilege. felt that there was a I, real loving moment there that I got to watch that I would not normally get to see. It felt so authentic. Right. right. Uh, I, I accept that, and I, and I appreciate that. But when he's on the screen, it feels like we're allowed to laugh at him. And, and I don't feel that that is, is in the spirit of what you're saying while, while I respect what you got from it. And well, that's, that's I why think... I sort of draw back from the movie at that point and start to feel sad. Okay. You don't, you don't think the movie played it for laughs, though, do you? No. Well, when we get to, when we get to how he's filmed and what he's talking about... Vince. You're talking about Vince. I'm talking about Vince at the right. end. And, right. and his whole ridiculous soliloquy about catfish. Which I hated. Thank you. God, that was awful. I think that I think the movie is trying to goad us into maybe laughing at him, and and maybe that's maybe that's something a, a trick that it's playing. No, on he's us, profound. He they they liked his quote. They made the movie after it. He's the Chauncey Gardner of the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really did. I I thought that was a. That's one thing I wanted to talk about. Is I I think the name of this is horrible. Uh, I I don't. I still don't understand what they're getting out. That whole thing about mixing a catfish in with a cod. I don't either. I, I, if I was Brett Ratner, if I was Brett Ratner, I would say, look, dudes, you've got a great movie here. Cut that. You don't know what you're doing. Let's come up with a different title for it. Uh, that, that doesn't work. Uh, that just felt really awkward to me, which is a shame considering how smart I thought some of the scenes were. Uh, so, and Dingus, I get you right. It, it, they do sort of play Vince. He does come across as kind of the, the rube that might be like the, the, the comic relief. You know, she's the sort of the tragic lonely figure, and and here's the homespun wisdom clown yeah. character. Life's a box of chocolates, Tom. Box but that does—that's another thing that makes me wonder. You know, is this a real family? Uh, and I would not be that surprised. I mean, like I say, obviously, Angela uh, giving the medication to to the young man—that just felt so authentic. I don't believe that those—that she's just an actress. I think she definitely has some kind of relationship with those boys, and I wouldn't be surprised if Vince was indeed her husband. And I look forward to this being outed. I mean, it's going to be at some point. Uh, But I think what we're going to end up hearing is that this was maybe, they told a story, they may be no Angela somehow. Uh, It's worth noting she's not on the IMDb page for the movie, so she's not, like, credited as an actress or anything. You can buy her art, and it starts at 1500 is that true, really? So she's selling $1,500 painting. Okay. Yeah. One of the things yeah. I thought is that I don't, I don't think she's supposed to be a really good painter, is she? Like, that stuff wasn't so – we weren't supposed to look at that and think that it was like – I think we were supposed to think. Really? Okay. Because they were all, whoa, she's only eight and she's painting like this? It's amazing. We were never – it was never suggested that she was a bad painter. He, he also think, think that the portrait of him at the end, he's like, wow, she really captured me. We're supposed to think that's good for an eight-year-old because I mean she right. she says you know they sell paintings by elephants I mean right I mean she I think she has an understanding of of these fifteen hundred 
saying. Like the picture at the end, I thought was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, you know, it's the thought that counts. And the picture she's working on, the picture she's working on that's sitting in the living room is awful. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Tom. I think you're a sick bastard. Wait, why? <laughs> because you. Uh, you're exploiting the retarded. <laughs> uh, I loved the scene, and again, I, I think it was just so dramatically convenient, but 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 just really clever. Where he's reading the sex chat while he's got his retainer in, <laughs> that sort of thing. That that was just too dramatically perfect, I think, to be completely. That honest. scene killed when I saw it because re- it's all in one take, and the audience was howling. Yeah, and then I oh, that's why Brett Ratner bought it because the scene plays awesome. To crowd of giggling 20 year olds because it's so it, bad it's that's really. hilarious he's it's so but the, i don't know i've been don't you feel but then you think about it later and it's this sad lonely woman and it's laughing. just great it's so great and embarrassing um because of the way you know you've you've talked to girls or you've you've written right. things to girls or the way i have written things to girls and then when but he then goes under under the covers and keeps doing it, and the camera just stays on him under the covers. I just thought that was great. Yeah, you know, and uh, even though, like Tom said, I did, I didn't believe a word of it. There were a number of di- lines of dialogue and moments where I was just like, "This is a this feels a little too pat and rehearsed, um, yeah. a little too convenient." But I did, I that didn't keep me from loving the moment. And that's that's why I understand what Tom's getting at because even when I felt like I knew I was being duped, I still liked the artistry and I and I liked then, the film was put together. After the movie's over, you think you replay that scene, and then you feel like a dick for laughing because you're thinking of her writing her end, like the sad woman, and the, the kids are screaming in the background, and she's writing her sex job. Well, but that's why I think it's ultimately very sympathetic to Angela. I mean, she's a it, it, the, this this character is a pathological liar. She is she's lonely. Uh, she goes to some pretty extreme lengths to spin out this this fiction. Um, but but I feel there's a real character there, and I I really liked the presentation of who she was. I liked her confessional. I, I liked her fessing up to stuff. I loved the scene where she's trying to draw him. Uh, I, I, I mean, all of that stuff, you, you, yeah, it's certainly sad, but it's just so sympathetic, and, and I think the movie is ultimately so kind and kind of caring towards her uh, in a way that it wasn't going to be if this was a Texas Chainsaw Massacre family. Uh, well, the guy, the think, guys even say it's not malicious; it's just sad. Yeah, right. Well, and it is, but you know what? Facebook destroyed all their lives, and Facebook's evil. <laughs> and uh, I think at but the end no. it was supposed to go, "Wow, look, Facebook's cool. Look, it brought these two people together." And that no, it, it also it also gave her a way. It also gave her a way to have life again. I mean, she's she's given up her dreams. I mean, if we just look at her as a character, she's given up her dreams, and then she has she she finds a way, whether it's malicious or sad or whatever it is, to live again. I mean, she she creates these fifteen profiles, and she has this whole this whole network that she's created of of life. It is. It's her life. It's. It's. I mean, there are people who mm-hmm. feel like World of Warcraft is their life. I mean, she's. They're she's made too. a whole. She's made a whole social network uh, when she feels like she's in a dead end world. And I think there's but none something of it's real. But how? What does real mean? I mean, she's she's created an emotional reality for herself, even if she knows at some point it's going to fall apart. She. It gives her a reason to get through this year. 
Dude, she's paying 16 phone bills. She's got to keep all this personality straight. It sounds like torture. It sounds like work. It can't be healthy. <laughs> See, I think you're missing the point of the movie, Kelly Wan. I think you're missing the point of the movie, Kelly Wan, if that's the conclusion Maybe. that you come to, that, that what she's engaged in. I, I, I could agree with you that it's not healthy, uh, but, but I don't think the movie is condemning her for that. I think the movie is showing no. this is how she coped. It falls apart, and here's what she has to replace it. And in the end, it is a powerful connection with another character. Uh, I'm condemning it for making her into what she was. And, and Dingus is saying, okay, it gave her a new way to live. But, I mean, if she just sold her paintings on the Internet and left her daughter out of it, and Naive out of it, <laughs> she would have, like eBay would have been better for her than Facebook. Facebook is the devil's handmaiden. Well, I agree with you there, but I do I do agree with That's Dingus. My... That I, I don't I, I think that it, I, I mean it, I think it was not necessarily a disapproving look at her or what she was doing. I don't think the movie is saying Facebook is, is evil. Uh, That's what probably what want this movie. To, right, right exactly. wanted to say that. Uh, and I don't use Facebook myself, so I can understand why you would want to say that. I'm also not a <laughs> Facebook guy, but Dingus uses Facebook a lot. He checks his profile. He updates his Twittering. But he's a dad. Hour. So he's off the hook. <laughs> you're a bachelor. Totally the hook. If you have kids, you're kind of stuck with Facebook. And she does have kids. But look how she uses Facebook. That wasn't your, You guys are totally making it sound like that was the best thing that ever happened to her. And it was the worst thing that ever happened to her after getting married to a... Uh, when, when, where does a woman like that, in, in that particular town, in that particular circumstance, have the chance to flirt and feel like she's falling in love? But she's married. She shouldn't be. She should leave her husband and her kids. No. She, she pray love in India. She, with, she made uh, a choice, like, like Vince said at the end. You know, what do you want? Because you can't have everything. And so she made her choice of, of what of what she's going to have out of life. But she's found a way to sort of have a sense of passion and that sense of falling in love and being able to flirt in a town where she's not going to have that chance ever is valuable to her. And why wouldn't that be? Well, what, okay, what if she did? Okay, let's say, okay, so the movie comes out. You're saying if she did it again with another dude, <laughs> it's even better. And she's even healthier now. I'm not putting a value judgment on whether or not what she did was right or wrong. I'm saying that it, it's understandable that a, a human being wanting to find that level of passion without destroying her family. It's understandable, but it's not good for her. I think it's ultimately destructive. For her. In this instance, though, it's good for her. In this instance, it's a positive because relationship. she happened. Right. She found the one guy who's making a movie about her, her condition. By chance. Well, and that's why, you know, this is a narrative, I think. This is a story uh, about this woman. And ultimately, I think the story is a, about a kind of a, a redemption for her. And I know you hate redemption in movies, Kelly Wand. You yeah. want everyone to be consigned to some terrible fate, and that's fine. But that's not what this movie was. This is a, a, a story about the, the, the what initially is the obfuscating power of technology turning into a, a more redemptive power, I feel. What did you read that off of? <laughs> I had to sit down with the thesaurus for a while. I'm pretty exhausted. <laughs> well, I'd rather see. I've seen this than the biopic that we almost saw. I guess. Well, I and I do think. I mean, I tend to be pretty. I tend to be like you, Kelly Wan, and I tend to be pretty harsh about how people use things like Facebook and technology uh, to replace genuine relationships. And I think that's a yeah. danger. And 
And this movie gives that stuff a free pass. No, no, no. This movie, though, is about one exceptional instance where that got turned on its head. Uh, mm. I, I feel. Uh, for, for marketing reasons. It's a marketing... Well, the narrative of this movie... Same way Mafia Wars is a marketing company, like, tricking everyone into... Ultimately, here, look, I, I think these guys thought, hey, let's do a, a found footage movie uh, based on weird Internet relationships, and let's give it a warm, humanistic conclusion. They make Dude, it, every... and now, hold on, they make it, and now Universal is trying to sell it, and you're just mm. mad at how Universal tried to sell it to you. Well, yeah, because I, I know every hot chick on Facebook <laughs> has a crazy woman in Michigan <laughs> painting behind her. Duh. What's wrong with that? What, am I the only person who knew this? <laughs> I paid money to find this out. I'm outraged. Uh, I, I, I also want it to turn out, I, I, the woman who played Angela, I like. I want to see her in movies. I liked her, just as an actress. I really liked what they did with her. I liked how comfortable she was doing the scenes with, with Nev. Uh, that guy at first, I was really annoyed with. I was like, oh, God, please don't let him be the main character. But by the, <laughs> by the time it was over, I was okay with him. Uh I, I like these actors for the most part. Would you want a sequel where they keep dating and they get married? Because I thought I was watching a dramatization, for a little bit I thought it was going to turn into a more conventional romance. Like I was like, oh, is he going like, to fall in love with her? Are they going there? And I was glad. That would have been a twist. Hey, you know, narrative. That would have been twist. quite the twist, but they didn't go there. That's not what they were trying to do. Uh, Pussies. So. I don't know I don't that know. I. I don't know that I agree that this is necessarily the point of this is that it's a one-time thing. I think that they are trying to make a larger point about what social networking is. And I think they did that in a couple different ways about showing who's friends with who and how this this person doesn't know this person, but this group of friends doesn't know this group of friends. And I, and I think they're trying to give this idea of this is going on everywhere. Oh, with uh, with people having fake identities and stuff. People having fake identities, or people living vicariously, or right. or the or the way people aren't completely honest with who they are. But it doesn't really condemn that, though, does it, Dingus? I mean, do you feel like? Oh, it... absolutely not. I agree. Yeah. 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 Uh, what was? I don't know if this was a red herring, but at one point, somebody posts something in a comment section about "let it lie." You know, walk away from this. And I thought it was somebody named Alex who was one of Angela's personas. Am I incorrect about that? Does she at one point flesh this out so much that one of her personas warns another one of the personas away from commenting? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Alex was the brother who had the band, the uh, casualties or something like that. So why would he post in a comment section to another fictional character? Like that was a red herring that, that I think the filmmakers introduced. Am I correct about that? Yeah, yeah, and no I real forgot about that. You're yeah. right. Uh, Doesn't one of her songs turn out to be one of the Joaquin Phoenix hip-hop songs? <laughs> well, I wish I'd been ready with the 3x3 three three on that one. <laughs> well, well done, Kelly Wand. Mm. <laughs> uh, do you know who did the incidental music for this? No, who? Angela. That's no, the twist. Uh, <laughs> she actually did all the music. <laughs> That's the final reveal. No, and there was, there was a moment in this where I where I thought, oh, wow, the you know, when... when um, when Neve is checking his microphone and he's away from the car and he's far away from the car and, and he's doing the microphone test right, in right. the parking lot, I, I sort of got this weird sort of Wes Anderson vibe. And, it, and I don't know why I got that. Maybe he sort of looked like uh, Jason Schwartzman to me. But uh, it turns out Mark Mothersbaugh did the uh, extra music for this. You're so lying. 
I'm so not. Wow. And I didn't, I was just sitting there sort of dumbfounded watching the credits and Mark Mothersbaugh's name showed up and I went, hey, I know that. Well, there you got Seals, but he doesn't do documentaries. Oh, good job. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the lines I really liked is where Nev is talking about the the ranch where the horses are, and he says uh, he's he's talking about the horses, and he says something like, uh, "Yeah, horses are like held there." <laughs> like, I love just that verb for where the horses live, where they're kept. Yeah, they're, it's a New York guy. Right. Exactly. Yes, they're held in a corral. <laughs> I love just little touches like that. I mean, yeah. the imperfections in this, like with people typing or the autocomplete, or little things like horses being yeah. held somewhere. Or thieves uh, talking about how chickens ovulate. <laughs> right. I mean, they yeah. have a good sense for how yeah, to fix it and what to make th- what how to make what things interesting. Uh, and, and by the way, Blair Witch Project does that very well. You know, Blair Witch Project has probably about ten times as much footage shot as they actually used. Uh, you, you know, when you just have digital cameras to just run and run and run, if you're smart enough, you can really get good stuff out of it and not make it, like, long and boring. And they did such a great job here. I, I would love to hear more about the filming process of this, uh, how much of it was written beforehand, how much of it is just them riffing. And, uh, and 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 putting stuff, but it's much like Kelly Wan wanting to hear about, you know, in Blair Witch Project, they gave them the cameras, they sent them into the woods, and every night the filmmakers would mess with them, would do little things, and they didn't know what was coming, and they were just sort of rolling with it and, and improving. Uh, and I loved reading about that. I loved how they didn't know which of the characters was going to get killed uh, in Blair Witch Project. You know, they they that was a surprise for the actors, and it, it was a fascinating. I love that movie, but it was a fascinating. It's fascinating to read about how they they came to get, how all of that came together, and I want to know that stuff about Catfish. Uh, Too bad you yeah. never will, because it was all real. <laughs> uh, well, I do, I do want to like learn that. about that too. It's especially about the editing because it's so well edited, and there's so much of that computer close, super close up footage of computer, yeah. you know, cursors moving around put in, you know, not and it, and it was. I think the I think one of the dates he says is April of ni- uh, 2008, and how much of that sort of interface deals with 2008, and how much that's changed from 2010, and how much they had to deal with in editing. I, I would really like to see that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Steven Spielberg changed the ending to this movie. Uh, he wanted them to have a little demon face in it, and you know, so then he wanted to throw, to throw throw a laptop at the computer. <laughs> One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty to three, and when I'm caught in between, counting one, two, three, beat a button, let it free, getting down with three, beat everybody else. Oh, we, we came in at less than an hour this week, that's good, right? You guys don't know how to do that, right? You don't know how to say dumb things. I know. We should leave that to you. We really suck it. Yeah. (laughs) Kelly, I was concentrating on saying dumb things for this whole podcast. (laughs) I know. I was doing it, too, because I thought, oh, Tom will end it early if I say something awesomely dumb right now. I'll I'll cue that up and be ready with it uh, sooner next time. Let's do a three-by-three. It's a twist. Uh, I think it's Dingus's three-by-three. What do you got for us, Dingus? Oh, uh, well, I've got a three-way three about reflections. It's just your top three reflection mm. moments. I didn't, I didn't make it uh, 
specific to like characters sitting in front of a mirror or mirror, um, moments of mirrors. If you want to use mirrors, that's fine with me. Um, but I'm really talking about moments where uh, the camera catches a reflection and, and that it, it's meaningful to you guys because it was you know, it was sort of inspired by a film I saw and also inspired by Tom's uh, Tom's category about uh, scenes shot through windows. Hmm. So it's the two towers of our glass trilogy. <laughs> Right, you're going to do shattered next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Broken that's glass. Nice. Yeah, that's shards. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going first because I have this week's three by three. And uh, dang, is I hated this one. God, I could, and mainly it's my own fault. Oh, it's you guys better have good stuff because all I could come up with was like cheesy things from horror movies. Mine yeah, sucks. Yeah, me too. Okay. Good. We'll be done early then. <laughs> well, I, I like I liked the idea of it, and then I turned out hating it too. So. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I like the ones I came up with, but they're all like horror movie gimmicks. Uh, You're gonna steal all mine. I, I really don't think I am, Kelly Wan. They're pretty obscure. I, I dug pretty deep. So, uh, all right, I'm gonna start with one. My number three. It's a movie that you guys are, are gonna go away because you will have never heard of it. So I'm gonna start with the screenwriter's name, which is the reason I saw this movie. There's a fellow named Everett DeRoche. Ah. Do you know who that is, Kelly Wand? No. Oh. I, I actually would. I'm surprised you don't know who he is. He's, he's an Australian who has written uh, Razorback, Road Games, and The Long Weekend. Uh, mm. He does these really cool Australian horror movies, and I've seen movies based on the fact that he just wrote them. Uh, I think he's also done some TV writing. Uh, I don't think he directed this, but there's a horror movie called Nine Miles Down. Uh, written, which I saw because I saw Everett DeRoche's name. I, I like that guy. Uh, Nine Miles Down is it's just terrible. Uh, it could be. It looks like it was shot, you, you know, out in uh, Pasadena or something. But it's supposed to be some remote <laughs> drilling station where the scientists have drilled nine miles down and they've they've hit hell. You know, oh, I love it. it. So it's like demons are coming up through this awesome. hill. So he's the security guy who has to drive out to this isolated thing, which looks like it's behind a gas station in Pasadena. He has to drive out to this thing and investigate what's going on. And it turns into, you know, like the mysterious uh, lab and where are all the scientists and there's demons loose and there's one guy running around. Uh, and over the course of the movie, he goes a little crazy. And is it demons or is it him? Uh, the ending is just really stupid. But the lead actor in it, and I'm curious if you guys know who this guy is or if you've seen him in anything. Do you guys know who Adrian Paul is? Ah, uh, no. Dingus, do you know? Because it seems like... Adrian Paul, I don't know. He played... I don't know the people people's names or first names. <laughs> well, this guy, yeah, he has two first names. He played the Highlander in the TV show. Uh, and I, I dated a chick who just thought he was just so hot, and I never knew who he was. She's like, oh, Adrian Paul. Uh, and so this was my first exposure to Adrian Paul. The guy is a total doofus. He looks... He, he like, almost single-handedly sinks this movie because he's supposed to be all tortured and confused and going crazy. He he looks... I guess he's good-looking, but he looks perpetually confused. I mean, the look on this guy's face, it's like someone just told him a joke he doesn't understand, and he's trying to desperately figure it out before deciding whether or not to laugh at it. And that hairy like a monkey. He, he's got a he's got a sort of a big slab of a handsome monkeyish face, I guess. I don't know. I mean, chicks. So he's going through this movie, and he's supposed to be you know tortured by the the devil, and the, oh, and he's also you know his wife killed herself. You know, so he's all mopey about that. But anyway, there's one good reflection scene in this movie, 
uh, that I really liked, and it's the only reason to watch this stupid thing. Adrian Paul, uh, he's a security guard, he's got a gun, he goes into the bathroom to, I guess, gather his wits or something, and he looks in the mirror, and then right behind him on the wall, there's another mirror. So while he's looking in the mirror, there's an infinite regression of images of himself stretching into infinity. And while he's looking at this, trying to gather his wits, the reflection talks back at him. And it's his possessed self saying, ah, I'm going to kill you or whatever. I don't remember the dialogue. But what happens is that he sort of sees way off in the distance, like, you know, like 50 Adrian Pauls away. The reflection takes out its gun, puts it to its head and shoots itself in the head. And these reflections successfully marching up towards him shoot themselves in the head. Uh, and it was just a really cool image. I forget even how he gets out of it. I think he just walks away from the mirror or something stupid. But it's just that it's a really cool variation on that standard horror movie, you know, the reflection talks back at you. By having this successive, like, suicide thing. Oh, and by the way, I don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to because the movie sucks. In the end, he does shoot himself in the head and kill himself. Uh, so, twist. There you go. So that's Nine Miles Down, an Everett DeRoche disappointment, and, and my first exposure to Adrian Paul and the cat likes it, too. Uh, <laughs> I love the title, 50 Adrian Paul's Away. <laughs> he falls down. Also, when you when you started talking about this hunk and you said, I dated, I thought this was going to go a different way altogether. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Tom dates many hunks, and, but he likes smart guys, too. <laughs> You just wanted to see, you liked seeing him die, like Eli Roth. Oh, I do he love me Eli Roth. Death. Yeah, yeah, I do too, and he dies a lot. Yeah. I, he's tricking me into liking him because he yeah. dies all the time. Um, all right, so that's my number three, Kelly Wand. You are next. What is your Adrian Paul in Nine Miles Down? Kelly Wand, what is your number three reflection scene? Okay, it's mirrors, but it's not the Amy Smart scene. What? That scene's good, but I kind of like the scene at the end where you find out Kiefer Sutherland's <gasps> Oh, you know what? That Yeah, you've mentioned that before. That's a good point. That's a better reflection. All right, tell, the, us, tell us again about that scene. Uh, there's a demon or something, and then there's a mirror, and then Kiefer Sutherland, and then... Um, <laughs> he goes, wait, all the letters are backwards. What the... And then he t- he puts his hand on a window, and then he realizes that no one can see him. And then you see everyone walking on the other side of the window and is ignoring his handprint. But he can make a handprint, so it's not like he's totally cut off. But yeah, it's, Angela, it's, it's catfish. How dare you? It's the no, weird. It's the weird, uh, like the the sort of ending left hanging with some weird haunting image, and it's yeah. for Sutherland trapped in a backwards world. Well, yeah. But now does he? He so now he's dyslexic. Does he talk backwards? Did you know the Flash can speed talk, Paul? I mean, um, <laughs> you've got Adrian Paul on the brain. Adrian Paul, yeah, he said it so hot. I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what were you saying, Kiefer? Keep going. <laughs> Uh, I'm just a little big. Now, you know, do you know, Kelly Wan, Mirrors is a remake of a Korean horror film. Have you seen the original? No. I haven't. I don't, see, I don't see original source material. Okay. Based on something you told me once about how it's irrelevant. All right. That's why I'm only seeing Let, Let Me In and not the uh, original. Good. How's the original pronounced, Tom? Mirrors. What did I say? Are you making fun of my pronunciation? No, I'm asking Amy for the original Korean pronunciation of mirrors. I don't speak Korean. 
right, never mind. Uh, racist. I don't, yeah, I don't know what... Oh, you you were trying to make me rake a racist joke. It's not going to happen. <laughs> you just did! Yes! What are you talking about? Uh, I did not. How dare you? How did he? I don't know. Dingus, what do you want? What, what, what are you up to? What kind of shenanigans are you pulling on us? Just wait till you hear that. You'll know what I'm talking about. All right, and also, what's your number three uh, reflection movie? All right, I'm going to be totally the loser here because all of mine are going to be well-known movies and you guys are using cool abstract Australian yeah dude there's fucking rules (laughs) I'm going to have by the way I just want to before before you go dingus I just want to say I'm going to upstage all you guys by linking to a YouTube video of my number one pick and it's one that you guys will have no idea what it is so there how are we going to see it privileges on the website So I could do that. How are we going to see it through the podcast? Well, you'll have to go to quarter2three.com and click on the Uh, thread. Uh Oh, so it's manipulative Facebook and catfish. (laughs) My number number three uh, reflection is, uh, here's a a quote for you, gentlemen. How about that? Awesome. Hmm. Bloody proud of yourself. Thank you, Kelly. Bloody proud of yourself, aren't you? Oh, I was going to do... Sorry, you weren't done. Start over and we'll shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. You got to do the whole thing again because you were doing an accent. Kelly wanted to shut up. I'm going to shut up too. Do it again, Dingus. What? I shut up all the time. What are you going to do, Tom? Go ahead and tell me. I don't, I don't know. So finish it and I'll, I don't know. I'm assuming. I, uh, I could be wrong. I thought it was Miller's Crossing, but I could be wrong. So go ahead and do it. It's not Miller's Crossing. With Nail and I. Not with Nell and I. Well, do the quote again. I didn't hear it because I blabbed during the second half of it, and Kelly Wan blabbed during the first half of it. So, Dingus, take the stage. We'll wait for you to bow and say scene. Bloody proud of yourself, aren't you? You stuck your nose in where it didn't belong, and now you've killed my baby brother. Oh. <laughs> Billy scene. No, he's doing his Brad Pitt Irish accent, I'm pretty sure. Oh, uh, Switch. No, it's not my bad Wait. Brad Pitt. It's, my, it's one of my other bad... Irish accents. I always get Blake Edwards and Guy Ritchie mixed up. I don't. I don't know. I haven't seen this movie. You killed my baby brother. You guys. Uh, wait. What with uh, Robert Redford, where he's Irish? Gary Oldman. It's the one with Gary Oldman, where he's Irish. Uh, the seventh father. The father. Our father is the sins or some shit. Uh, it's Sean Bean. It's Sean Bean. Oh, oh, Lord of the Rings. The Hitcher. It's Lord of the Rings, and the, they all have a big mirror. It's Patriot <laughs> Games, you bitches. Patriot oh. Games. I knew one of your one of your Tom Clancy things that you have such a weakness for. I don't get that. I don't go back that far in memory. It's All right, well explain ninety two. Explain the mirror scene. I don't remember. I don't. There are mirrors. All my cells are dead from then. <laughs> I wanted to include, uh, you know, That's one nice. of these one of these uh, cliche uh, mirror. I see somebody coming up behind me moments. <laughs> You know, uh, and uh, and this is one I really like, and it's uh, it's Jack Ryan leaving the the uh, U.S. Naval Academy where he's a professor after the big opening where he's been a hero, and he's a professor at the Naval Academy and he gets a, a goofy award for being an idiot. And he's leaving. He's leaving the Naval Academy, and there's this uh, hunky dude in naval attire or naval sweats following him. And it's just, it's a very simple little moment where there's a, there's a, a worker, a, a, a dude in, who's uh, getting stuff out of his van, and he opens the door of the van, and in the reflection of the window, Harrison Ford sees the guy who's following behind. But, but there's a couple other reflections going on, because Polly Walker, who's also tracking them in a Jeep, uh, 
behind, there's a reflection. There's a lot of different reflections going on in this, including in the first scene. And I like the way Philip Noyce uses reflections. So since I'm going to choose one moment, it's this, this cheesy little moment where Harrison Ford gets the drop on this guy and uh, goes around the van and, and tricks him when, he, when he's got a guy following him. It's just a really great little slow-mo, there's a guy following me and I see him moment. And I wanted to get one of those in. Okay, good. Baby brother, we're supposed to know from that. I, I so I, all those Tom Clancy things run together for me. Is that the one where she's no Clive Kessler? Yeah, yeah. It's no Sahara. Yeah, good point. All right, my number two reflection scene, uh, Kelly Wan. This is the only one that I would worry I maybe stole from you. Uh, I like this one just because I, I'm an apologist for this movie, a huge apologist, as I know Kelly Wan is, and because it's a subtle touch. It's in the trailer. And I remember seeing it in the movie and not quite understanding why it was there. And only later do you understand why it's there. But it's the scene of Devon Sawa, I think that's how you say his name, in Final Destination, sitting in an outdoor cafe. And he's talking to some of his friends, and they've all been getting killed in various grisly methods because they cheated death. Uh, and, and a reflection of a bus passes by in the window behind him, and he sees it. And then he turns around, and the camera does this really cool effect, just spinning all the way around with him, and there is no bus on the street. Uh, and it's a little clue, like the little things before they kill them, little clues come up, and he has some sort of a psychic tap into these things. So there's no bus, and shortly thereafter, a girl gets killed by a bus in one of those classic, and I never fall for these anymore, this was back when you would fall for him. One of those classic scenes where there's a tight shot of someone in the street, and then the car comes really fast. She's drop fucking dead. Right, right, exactly. That's her last line, and the bus slams into her. And they get blood splattered on them. Right, and they look all horrified. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, That's the movie where they all look horrified when people die of all the Final Destination. <laughs> the rest of them. They never get in air care, and by the fourth, it's <laughs> like, oh yeah, what's her face? <laughs> we were there, but it was. But there's another good one in the first movie where um, the guy is in the bathroom mirror and he's he's cutting his nostril hairs with the scissors and then oh. you see like the Reaper's shadow come up behind him in the shower curtain and he turns around and you don't see it. There's a lot of good shit in there. Oh, nice. And the bathroom tiles are all skewed like they they deliberately caulked them at diagonal angles to mess with your right. head. Like a yeah. lot of Dutch uh, fake walls. Hmm, never mind. But no, that's good. Those are good. I didn't remember those. Uh, I haven't seen it in forever. I just remembered that bus image. Because the thing is, when he, it's not really clear. Like It's like a bus goes by, and then he turns, and there's no bus there, because obviously it drove away. But the point mm-hmm. of the, the camera going around, you're just supposed to be able to see down the street and gauge, well, if there really was a bus, it would be about that spot down the street, and it's not there. So it's a little, it's subtle. Uh-huh. And then there's a there's a vehicular mishap right after that I think where it looks like the Sean William Scott's going to get killed because the Dick character almost runs him down on his bike mm-hmm. so they're all arguing and then you don't even notice the blonde chick she's kind of out of the shot for the whole scene so when she has her little tant at the end you're barely even paying attention to it because all of a sudden their emotional shit's been going down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the bus scene that's yep. the greatest movie ever made Let's admit it. <laughs> it's one of the top three. Catfish could learn a lot from Final Disc. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Kelly Wand, what is your number two? Uh, I will do a quote. Are you talking to me? <laughs> oh, good Lord. Jeez, a Pete, why didn't I think of that? Dingus, right, is that yeah. on your list? How did, did you miss that one too, Dingus? No, that's my number one. 
Mm. Wow, you guys are so predictable. Uh, what's uh, uh, what's the scene uh, you like, Kelly? The ending, where you don't even see... There's been, like, nine minutes of that endless slow-motion tracking shot down the street with the cops after the shooting, which I guess is him dying, maybe. Say the movie. Go ahead and say the movie. A taxi driver. Right. I don't know. There's some people who might think it's, you know, Madagascar or something. That's my number one, actually. Thanks for it. <laughs> and then uh, Sybil Shepard gets in the car, and they talk... And see, that's where you... See, she would get in the car unless he was dead, and it was a dying hallucination. Right, Dangus? Is he dead at that point? Uh, I get so confused in the star field that I don't know what's happening by the end. <laughs> That's my number two. Uh, he sees something in the rearview mirror in the movie ends. Really like that. Oh, wait, is that true? Taxi Driver, the last shot, is him seeing something in the rearview mirror? Yeah, this jarring noise. Then he looks and nothing's there. And then the message is, oh, next time he's going to really snap. And he won't be uh, hailed as a hero. Or he's dead, and this is all his dream. And even his dreams aren't safe from his insanity, even after he's dead. Is there a real argument to be be made that, like, I think I've heard it before. I don't know how convincing it is. I've I've heard people mention it. I don't know how convincing the argument is. But is there a real argument to be made that the end of Taxi Driver is Travis Bickle's dying hallucination? There's a Kelly lot of Wand evidence. is trying to make it right now. I think. But that's what I don't know if he's being facetious. Are you, are you serious about that, Kelly Wand? Yeah, I'm fifty-fifty on it personally. Scorsese said uh, maybe because I don't. With, so it's it's not. Uh, would Sybil Shepherd get in the car with him? Would that chick get in the car with him? Would she he need, be hailed? She needs to get across town. She's got places uh, to be. She's busy. But she knows he's weird. She wouldn't be in the same car, and she just shows up right then. It's awfully convenient for Taxi Driver. That's how Annie Hall ends. Mm, That's true. And everything in Annie Hall is pretty realistic. (laughs) Especially when Jeff Goldblum loses his mantra. (laughs) Especially Diane Keaton's clothes. Alvy Singer. All right, Uh, good. So, so Dingus, that was really your number one, but are you talking about the the monologue? Are you talking to me scene in the mirror? No, I'm talking about a a different scene. Uh, And the, the quote from my scene would have been, Bitch, be cool. Which I know you guys would have tripped up on. Wait, I'm confused. So Taxi Driver is not your number one. Taxi Driver is my number one. And the the quote from the scene, I I had a a specific three-scene sequence, but one scene that I'm going to choose in particular has the quote, bitch be cool. In Taxi Driver. In Taxi Driver. Not Pulp Fiction? But if I I had said, if I had... You were going to trick us. Oh, you were trying to trick us, I see. It's a hoax, like Catfish. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> when does someone in Taxi Driver say, bitch, be cool? Oh, is that Harvey Keitel? <sighs> exactly. Oh, wow. And it's, and it's when Jodie Foster gets in the cab the first time. Mm. Um, and what I love, because because the reason I watched this um, was for the, the, the scene Kelly Wan quoted at the beginning, thinking, well, that's a mirror scene. I'll, I'll give it a look. And I haven't watched Taxi Driver in a while. And also, I was sort of curious to see if Kelly was right because he had actually chosen it for his uh, scene shot through windows until we said, oh, no, 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 no. But he was absolutely right to choose it for that. There's so many great examples of of things shot through glass, and there is a partition there. So he would have been right to stick with that. I should have stuck to his guns. Um, But there's there's a great progression there, and I didn't – it's not something I really had noticed how it works until I watched it this time. And how well it works, 
because the the use of the rearview mirror is so phenomenal in this. And and if you watch the progression of of the the first scene where the the politicians in the back of the cab, and you see um, Travis' eyes, and you see the politician in the in the rearview mirror as well. There's a lot that's shot in the rearview mirror. You see more of his face, and then you see the the scene with Jodie Foster when she gets in the cab and she's trying to escape. And it's much closer. It's really right up on Travis's eyes and the way his eyes look around. And you see her a little bit, and it's a little confusing. But a lot of it is in the rearview mirror, but it's right up on his face. And then the, the payoff for this, in an odd way, is, is where reflection is not used at all. And that's in the Scorsese scene that you quoted during, you know, when you were talking about the 45. You should, you should see, that, that's something you should see. Um, which you did a great Scorsese impression. <laughs> I do that at birthday parties. Uh, call yeah, I, I, I can imagine that it must go well. I think you did it at my kid's birthday. <laughs> it's hard um, with clown makeup on, but he does it. Because it's not used at all. I mean, you barely see it's you barely see his face in the rearview mirror. It's sort of at a distance and a little bit out of focus but the rearview mirror is such a character in that scene because he adjusts it and you want to be able to see him looking in the rearview mirror because there's a certain protection to, to him being able to see martin scorsese behind him because that guy's creepy and instead you see him looking but you never get to see the image and then the one time we think you're going to get to see the image you just see the back of his head when Martin Scorsese is saying, you know, all these creepy things. And it's, it's just a great progression of how reflection is used and then denied in that moment. And, but I really love how it culminates, you know, sort of in how it's a, this extreme close-up of his eyes. Uh, at, just after the, uh, the scene with, with the politician, Palantine or Emperor Palpatine or whatever, <laughs> where, where he said, we need to clean up this city, and then this... this teenage hooker gets in his cab and it's just right up on his eyes in the rearview mirror and it's just a great use of reflection i miss the 70s sometimes i mean i was too young to appreciate it back then but god the 70s were awesome they yeah, really are when, when you hear the music in that movie and and the way it's shot it's gorgeous it's gorgeous in a way that films aren't gorgeous right now that's what movies, you, and we thought, oh, we're only kids, and movies are this awesome. Can you imagine how great they're going to be in 2010, dude? <laughs> Battery-powered glasses, just to look at Avatar. Oh, All right, Dingus, now you get to do your number two, I'm afraid. So take a step back now. What's one that's not as good as Taxi Driver, but better than Patriot Games? <sighs> this is so anticlimactic. But this is, um, <laughs> this is very much what inspired this category. Um, and, uh, and I'm not going to bother to give you a quote um, it's the film Tombstone and I watched it uh, intending I, I rented it intending to watch for through you know through, uh, scenes shot through windows because I really wanted something from a western and 310 to Yuma didn't work because the windows open uh, there's a great window scene, but there's no glass there. And I thought there would be something in Tombstone. There really, there really wasn't, or if there was, I didn't get to it because there's just this great moment. I just, I just immediately, as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, that's, that, I didn't, I didn't remember this moment from it. And it's uh, when Wyatt 
is taking the train. Um, he's going to Tombstone, but he, he he gets off the train in Tucson, and he meets up with with his brothers um, in in Tucson, and they're they're all meeting together, and they're very excited about their future. It's um, it's it's uh, Sam Elliott playing Virgil and um, Bill Cat Bill Paxton playing uh, Morgan, uh, and and the brothers meet in Tucson, and and their wives are there too, and and they all sort of get introduced to Wyatt's wife, and they turn around and it's this very artificial and cheesy moment where Wyatt sees them all in this store window in this portrait, and he he just basically says. Everybody be quiet and just look. He doesn't say that. He, he, he sort of stammers it. It's sort of like, uh, just look at that. Just don't say anything. And, it, and it's this era before there was everybody running around with a camera and taking pictures. Of it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a portrait of, of a family. And you very clearly see what Wyatt's dream is. His dream is to find a place where he can have a family and where they can be peaceful and have portraits. And it's this lovely little reflection on this shop window in Tucson. And that's it. It's just this ridiculous little cheesy moment. And that's what inspired this, this whole category. Because I just loved that, that moment where he looks in the mirror and sees all of them standing there. Very cute. I like that. What a pleasant man Dingus is. <laughs> man Dingus. Well, I'm going to destroy it now by uh, doing my number one, which actually does not even feature a reflection. It's kind of cheating. Yeah, I've totally broken the category. Mm. So, number one, I'm not a huge fan of Hammer horror films. I mean, they've got some weird British thing going on where I don't quite understand them. And, like, Christopher Lee was awesome in Wicker Man, but otherwise, like, I don't... I guess he's supposed to be a scary vampire. I don't know what his deal is. Hammer films don't do much for me. However, when I was a kid, I remember catching on TV... Late one night while I was staying at my grandparents' house, a movie called Twins of Evil, which is a hammer horror film, which features a fair amount of, there is some nudity, but there is also a lot of cleavage in it. And it's, it's so appreciative of the cleavage that I understand the fact that the French have a whole new term for cleavage that, and how it's featured in clothing. And that term is décolletage. Mm-hmm. And Twins of Evil is not mere cleavage. It is all... Décolletage. So Twins of Evil was a horror, uh, hammer horror film from, I want to say, like the early 70s, maybe. And it was when Hammer was going through a period where they, they wanted to include more cheesecake uh, to sort of get in uh, a different audience, I guess, to sell stuff. You know, make it a little Us. smutty. Exactly. So Twins of Evil, they hired these... Uh, and I didn't know this until doing research, you know, for research purposes the movie afterwards, they hired these Playboy Playmates who were twins named Madeline and Mary Collinson to play the eponymous Twins of Evil. Uh, so it's a standard vampire thing. They're these nice, innocent young nieces of Peter Cushing, who is fantastic in this movie, by the way. I, I, I say Christopher Lee doesn't do a lot for me, and he's, you know, he's Saruman or whatever, and that's cool. But, but Peter Cushing, I love that guy, and he is so good in Twins of Evil, like legitimately good. Not just, like in Star Wars, a guy who is far better than a cheesy script. He is so good in Twins of Evil. And there's a lot of backstory there, too, because his real-life wife had just died before they started filming. 
And they said, you know, you don't have to do this. We'll get someone else in. And he's like, no, no, I want to do it. And you can see, I mean, you can just see the pain in that guy's face. And he plays this uh, this really stoic, the uncle of the twins. And he's a witch hunter. And he's persecuting witches in his village. And his nieces come to stay with him. And they get seduced by the local vampire. And one of them becomes an evil twin, and the other one's a good twin, and it's sort of about the the battle between them. Uh, and the scene that I always remembered as a kid is the evil twin at one point sprouts her fangs and wrestles with the young hero, who's the dorkiest looking guy. God, people's hairstyles back then were so ridiculous. She, she's wrestling with the one dude, and her her uh, nightgown or whatever like flops open. And this, and at that point, it's no longer a movie about décolletage. It's a movie about breasts at that point. Twins of Evil does that a few times. So one of the things they do in Twins of Evil is they figure, hey, we've got twins here. We've got a story about vampires. Vampires don't have reflections. What kind of trickery can we come up with? So here's what they do in Twins of Evil to show that the lead evil dude is indeed a vampire with no reflection. He has sort of enticed one of the, the more curious twins. She's not evil yet. She's a curious twin. He's enticed her over to his castle. And she wants to be more worldly and know what's going on. Uh, and he's like, you know what? Let me show you something. I can show you, like, the true true Satanism. You know, I can give you evil powers. Here, come over here and I'll show you something. And he steps in front of what's supposed to be a mirror. But is, in fact, and it's pretty obvious, no such thing. It is a hole cut in the wall that's supposed to look like a mirror. He steps in front of this hole, and, of course, there's nothing on the other side. Uh, they set up the furniture on the other side of this hole, so it looks like, yeah, it's a mirror. He steps in front of there, and there's nothing there, you know, because he's not over there. He's on this side of the hole. And then Madeline Collinson steps in front into the frame with him while Mary Collinson on the other side of this hole tries to match her movements and steps in there. Uh. And she's wearing the same outfit. So what it looks like is she's seeing her reflection, whereas his reflection isn't there. But in fact, what you're seeing are two twins who look a little different and who aren't quite doing the same moves. And in order to drive the point home, they step in front of the mirror and the evil vampire says, look. And he points at the mirror, and, and Madeline Collinson tries to turn her head slowly while Mary Collinson is doing the same thing in the reflection. And they look at each other, and they both do an audible sort of gasp, and they jerk back. And it's so cheesy seeing these twins. They're horrible actresses, God bless them, but they're so adorable. Uh, seeing these twins trying to act surprised and react, and their bodies don't match. And even in the frame, there's a candle, like one candle on each side, so it's supposed to look like an image. But the flames are flickering totally differently. It's such a cheesy effect. Effect. And it's just part of why, why I love this movie. This movie has just this playful combination of, of, of innocence, of cheesy sexuality, of hot chicks, of Peter Cushing's fantastic pained performance. I mean, God, I love that guy. Uh, and no Hammer horror film, to my mind, has, has rivaled Twins of Evil. I've seen a few of them. They're cheesy, and that doesn't work for me. But Twins of Evil, I, for a crappy movie, I just adore that thing. Um, it's on YouTube in its entirety, by the way, uh, and I will be linking to uh, the the segment that has this mirror scene, and if you go to the one minute, 12 seconds uh, mark, you can see this awesome mirror trick that they do in, in Twins of Evil. So there you go. That's my number one, and it doesn't even have an actual reflection. That counts. Yeah. Kelly Wand, have you seen Twins of Evil? 
Yeah, it's the third film of the Karnstein trilogy. Well, no, see, well, Karnstein, it's actually Karnstein, I believe, is the evil vampire who has no reflection. Uh, and his hair is awful, too. I mean, mainly the guy with the, the lead hero guy, but they just look like such cheesy 70s porn star, Euro porn star type dudes. It's really silly. Uh, so you know Twins of Evil, then. Yeah, and I read the story that it was based on Carmilla. The vampire classic tale. Wow, because well, that's right. They they resurrect this ancient female vampire. Uh, mm. Yeah. All right. Very good. But Madeline's really hot, and but Mary Collinson. <gasps> oh, I like how dare you? How dare you? Maybe I got them mixed up. There. One of them. <laughs> it's like one of them's the Judy Landers, and the other one's the Audrey. You know, how Judy was. Really hot. <laughs> I think they're both adorable. I can tell a little bit of a difference between. Uh, uh, J Land pones A Land. All right, if you say so. There, I said it. All right. All right, Kelly, what is your number one reflection movie? Oh, by the way, there's only one sun in Catfish, so you fell for the... Uh... Okay, we're not... We're number not... one, uh, okay, <laughs> is... Uh... Oh, this is a tough one. Do I go with that? All right. I want to say Poltergeist, but I'm going to say... Save your runners-up to when we do runners-up. You've already said Poltergeist. I'm writing it down. No, no, Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Because there's science. There's tachyons. What's the, what's the, oh, God, there are tachyons. Because you get to go on the other side of the reflection world, just like Alice. But you get to see the devil's uh, claw, and it's all watery, but she lives. And then at the end... The guy wakes up, and he's got, like, the cut on his face, which is the first step of the disease where maggots come out of your feet, like the homeless people. I hope that didn't sound racist. And, um, <laughs> but then he uh, starts to pick at it, and the movie ends. It's like, ah, oh, reflection trickery. It's like a taxi driver um, homage. It ends and with I, a mirror gimmick. Yeah. But there's a, the mirrors are a big part of the plot, too. So it's, I'm talking about where the chick sacrifices herself, and then Donald Pleasant throws an axe into the mirror and keeps her captive so that she can ah. get eaten by the devil in the future and then send the tachyons back to let us know that everything worked out fine, like in that Craig Benford novel timescape. Is Prince of Darkness horrible? Uh, I like it. Right. <laughs> but is I it, like a lot of dumb. Is it Alice Cooper's best movie? No. That would be Kiss and the Phantom of the Park. Oh, wait, he's not in that. Um, <laughs> by the way, the answer to, is Prince of Darkness horrible? Uh, I like it. That's not an answer. <laughs> Alice Cooper's best movie is uh, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Don't know that one. You sure that's not Kiss? Is that Adam oh, wait, Sandler? That's, that's Gary Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's do runners-up. So Kelly Wan, one of his runners-up is Poltergeist, where the guy rips his face off. Yeah, uh, and I'm bummed that none of the other Poltergeist movies elaborated on that. Right. Because when I first saw that in the first time, and the dude first goes, I'm going into the kitchen to steal some steak. All they, one of the audience went, oh, God, he's going to the kitchen. Something horrible's going to happen. And then it did. And then that's the last time anything fun happens in the kitchen in any of the movies. All right. Ghosts love kitchens. I'm surprised, like I'm surprised nobody mentioned uh, Jurassic Park. The objects in Mirror are closer than they appear. Mm. That's a cute mm. one. I also and in the Velociraptors. Which one? Uh, they, they riff on the Jurassic Objects in Mirror are closer than they appear scene in Toy, Toy Story 2. 
Which is great. Well, don't go, uh, at Toy Story 2. How dare you? Well, it's the same gag. But it's with it's with the happy little Wally Shawn dinosaur. I forget his name. Uh, it's the same gag in a completely different innocuous situation. It's the Wally Shawn T-Rex like running to catch up with a little Barbie car while they're driving around in the toy store. Uh, oh. But you should see that movie sometime, Kelly Wand. I've heard it's the perfect movie, according to a computer. <laughs> I've, oh, I've said that. Are you calling me a computer? Both. Okay. You're the big blue of movies being perfect. Uh, Dingus, you, I thought you were doing Miller's Crossing, because isn't there a great scene with Marsha Gay Harden and Gabriel Byrne where he, he, she throws something at him and smashes a mirror, and, he says, I, and she says, I bet you thought you raised hell. And he says, when I raise hell, sister, you'll know it. Like, isn't that partly done in a mirror? Uh, you're probably right, but I don't remember. Okay. What about Mothman Prophecies? I like that movie. That's Mark Pelling. I like it, too. It's the stupidest movie I think I like on the planet. You like you like wow. the one? That's that's not. You don't want to set the bar there. Sap <laughs> is way less stupid than Moss. Kelly Wand, I I discovered a trend. You like movies where uh, uh, Richard Gere gets punked. <laughs> yeah, he has nowhere else to go. <laughs> <laughs> was that an officer and a gentleman uh, reference? Yes, that was good. Uh, you're good, Kelly. Welcome back, actually. Gotcha. <laughs> Kelly Wand, you're a national treasure. Let me just say that again. <laughs> I'm in the zone, huh? Dickus, what runners-up did you have? You must have had some. Uh, I had a couple just for straight mirror scenes. Uh, would be Royal Tenenbaums or Raging Bull. Oh, God, I can't believe I didn't think of Royal Tenenbaums, too. Good one. Mm-hmm. What's the Raging Bull mirror scene? Uh, at just, the end, he's practicing yeah. his uh, his monologue. and his comedy. All that makeup. Yeah, his comedy. His comedy monologue. Another De Niro mirror, Scorsese. Wait, I can't tell. Never do anything new. God. I can't can't tell who's goofing and who's not goofing. At the end of Raging Bull, he's practicing a comedy routine in the mirror. Yeah, yeah. Did he do it in New York, too? Did he do it in three Scorsese movies in a row? Did he end the scene with a mirror? I don't remember that. That might be. Is it the mirror trilogy? (laughs) (laughs) Somebody watch New York, New York, because I don't want to sit through that fucking thing. At the end of his career, Jake LaMotta was relegated to doing these weird. monologues um boxer monologues and he and then he's back in the green room or the dressing room preparing for that sitting in front of a mirror doing this monologue that makes me think of one that i'm surprised kelly wan didn't pick and that's the final scene in boogie nights with mark Wahlberg in the mirror ah Ah. yeah it's very much part of that uh for reflection i don't roll that way but i like your headset just uh, for straight reflections, I, I looked at The Matrix as well, as well because there's a lot of uh. reflections in that. But they're a little obvious. When, when he's offering the pills, you see each pill in his glasses and Neo's head in his glasses. And then, <laughs> and then Neo's, Neo like touches a mirror and he become, the mirror like covers his body. So, yeah. What about Terminator when he does surgery on his head? <laughs> oh, good. That's possible, yeah. That is a good one because back then, you know, that, those were like that, those were like cutting edge effects. That was probably Rob Bottin. Yeah. <laughs> Do uh, you have any other uh, runners up, Tom? Evil no Dead is in the thing. Evil oh, Dead yeah. is a famous yeah. one where Ash is talking, and it's the same thing where you've got a hole cut in the wall and actors on either side. Again, you can sort of see it coming, but I, I'm actually I, maybe when I first saw it, I didn't know. But Ash is sitting there convincing himself everything's going to be all right, everything's going to be all right, and then Bruce Campbell leans through the mirror to grab the 
body double whose back is to the camera saying everything's not going to be girlfriend with the chains. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's the evil. Do you feel all right? And then he's strangling himself. But it's oh, that's right. And then the camera pulls back. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, have you guys? So you guys have not seen. I'm just fascinated. I'm as fascinated with this as I predict I'm going to be with Let Me In. But Paranormal Activity Two, the trailers for that and the movie poster do mirror tricks that you can miss. Yay! So in, wait, when's that come out? I don't know. It's got to be this year. It's got to oh, be this year. So in the forever. in the trailer, uh, the the baby is not in the crib. You know, at the very end, it's showing all these, like, nanny cams around a house, and one of them has a dog and a baby in the room. And it shows the baby in the room, and the dog gets up and starts barking, and then it does a quick cut where, I guess, Katie Featherstone or whoever is standing there in the doorway, and the baby is not in the crib, but the baby is in the mirror image in the crib, of the crib. Whereas, here's where it gets even trickier, Kelly Wand, in the poster, which is that shot, the baby is in the crib, but is not in the mirror image of the uh, crib. Awesome. So what kind of shenanigans are going on there, we won't know until it actually comes out. No, no the people of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm excited. Other, I, it's got to be terrible, but I'm excited, too. So it's got that one thing in it we can look forward to. It. Yeah, I guess so. That's one more than a catfish. Well, I'm so I'm so I'm still so creeped out by the original movie that even just watching the trailer, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go see. And even if it's terrible, I know I'm just gonna just on expectation alone, I expect I'll I'll be. So she's in the sequel. I'm assuming it is. Like, actually, I don't know. Maybe not. It just shows somebody standing. I can't believe you're watching trailers for it. Yeah, what are you doing? Not you. If you want to, if you want to be creeped out, what are you doing? I know. I know. You're telling us about it. Well, I was thinking that I wouldn't care about it and that I would hate it and that was that I was going to be dismissive of it. But then I watched the trailer and it tricks me. I shouldn't watch trailers. I know. I know. I'm excited she's in it then. I don't know if she is. You know what? It just shows a a woman standing there. I'm assuming. Because the end of Paranormal Activity, she's loose. You know, you got to tell us what happens with her, yeah? I don't know. We'll Dreyfus see. should be in it. <laughs> yeah, one last time. <laughs> Tom, are you watching the trailer for the Zach Galifianakis, Robert Downey Jr. film? Oh, good Lord, no. Okay. You did. Not only that, there's another thing with Zach Galifianakis and a little kid, and I'm not watching the trailer for that either. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly Wand. I need you to tell me that once a day. <laughs> Uh, are you guys ready for next week's 3x3? Three three? Oh, I am. Uh, I've been wanting to do this one for a while, and I, I'm tempted to tell you why I'm going to do it. But that'll take one off the table. But let me just say, before I decide whether or not to do that. So music, of course, is important in movies. We all know that. Sometimes, though, characters in movies play music. Damn it. What I want... Uh, Dingus, you and I have, have performed before. I don't think you play a musical instrument. I sure, sure don't. You can sing. You have that going for you. But I play skin I, flute. I, oh, too much information. Wow. Mm. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I'm aware of when I'm watching a movie is when an actor has to play a musical instrument. Uh, I, I, I find myself wondering, does the actor know how to play the instrument? Is it gratuitous? Is he playing the instrument simply because the actor plays the instrument? I don't know. Like, for instance, in all of Sam Rockwell's movies, he likes to do a little dance move. So when I see an actor play a musical instrument, I wonder about that. The movie we're going to see next week features that a little bit. It's just a minor moment where Casey Affleck plays the piano. It's, it's nothing major. It doesn't really fit into the action in any meaningful way. So what I want instead are meaningful moments where actors play instruments. And one of the movies we've seen recently inspired this. I won't go into it. 
Uh, we'll just leave that out there. Uh, and that's what I want from you guys, is three instances of that where an actor's playing an instrument and it's somehow meaningful. Cool? Does all the singing count as an instrument? Oh, and that's that, actually, that is a good question. That's important. Not singing, because I really want it to be something, you know, some sort of a musical instrument. There's plenty of stuff where actors sing or musical numbers or whatever. I, as somebody who's done stage work before, I'm more fascinated when an actor ha- actually has to pick something up and play an instrument. So, so no, no singing. Singing is not allowed. The, the, is, there any, is there anything you care to take off the table? Because I've got my number one if you don't. I think we might have the same number one. So, no, I'm not going to take I think we all have the table. same number one. I think we're all, we're, we're, there's going to be some overlap, so stick around for the uh, runners-up where maybe we'll bring more into it. But uh, that, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, you know what? Let, let me take this off the table because this Don't is do really – I really want to because this is what made me think up the, the, the topic, and I think we're all thinking of this. I just loved the moment at the end of Winter's Bone where Teardrop um. and Joe – and, and I loved how the banjo figured into the action, how, how it, it was such a prominent object and how, how much it meant. And seeing John Hawks play that banjo was just such a, a really cool moment and, and such an incredible way to sort of end the movie and to play that character out. So that right there is where it got me thinking of other instances of that in other movies. So since we've all seen that and since I know that registered for all of us, I'm just going to take that off the table. Uh, Sorry. It was my number one. All right. I know Dingus and I still have some overlap, and we're not going to get into that now. But uh, Dingus, you'll... I don't see movies with musicals in them. <laughs> see, that's the thing. Is it doesn't have to be a, a musical. Uh, Does dance count? Dance is not an instrument, Kelly Wand. <laughs> we can stop uh, asking gotta... questions because I've, I've got something that's really close to this, and you're going to ruin it if you keep... <laughs> I got a one. <laughs> All right. So, good one. There you go. So tune in next week. We will be doing our uh, three by three of uh, meaningful scenes where actors play musical instruments. We're not um, seeing a Casey Affleck movie next week, though, right? That was a joke. You bet we are. So next week, instead of the Facebook movie, uh, a, a movie c- comes out. W- uh, w- you will hear this on uh, Monday, probably. Tomorrow, on Tuesday the 28th, the DVD comes out for uh, The Killer Inside Me which is uh, Michael Winterbottom directed it. It's starring Casey Affleck. It's based on a Jim Thompson novel. Uh, and I am pretty much saying, I am, you know, forget theatrical releases. This is the movie I want us to talk about next week, and these two guys have, uh, have obliged me in that. So rent that movie, see it, because we'll be talking about it next week, and we will also bring you our 3x3 three three of scenes with actors playing musical instruments. So uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by, uh, let's see, I wrote it down, Christian... Uh, McCluskey, I think I got that. Yeah, Christian McCluskey. I'm so tempted to go with that, but it's Christian Murawski. Mm, That's that's what I said. Uh, And also uh, Kelly Wand. I'm the catfish of this podcast. You are not alone.
If you enjoyed listening to Tom Love Catfish, follow Twitter on Facebook at myspace.friendster.quarter.at.till.3.org.